to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name is Richard. I'll be your host for Thursday or Tuesday or Friday morning or Saturday afternoon. If you're doing the garden because it's hot, hot, hot outside because um, after all it is your podcast. Um, he has sitting in the room on at a table. He's got cuffs round his hands. He is not just a repeat offender. He's off to parole. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. I didn't know parole was a thing. <laughs> it could be. It could be for you if you play your cards right tonight. Because <laughs> joining me once again is he <laughs> He puts the joy in Jowett. Oh no. He puts, no. He puts, Come on. He puts the education into Ed. <laughs> it is the wonderful, fantastic Mr. Ed Jowett. Oh dear. Hello. Hi everyone. Hi. Thanks Richard. It's great to be back once again. Um, always, always good to come here and, and have a chat with you about uh, about the various exciting things that I have going on. <laughs> it's, um, what's, it like? what's it like where you are? Is it hot, hot, hot where you are? Oh goodness, yes. Yeah, it's very, very warm indeed. Um, I've, I've had a bit of a nightmare today because uh, I've been at home all day and... Um, it's it's just the uh, the the temperature of my of my flat has just gone. <laughs> um, uh, it's all over the place, and yeah, no, uh, it, it's very very warm, very very warm. It's been okay here, you know. Can't complain. It's Scotland after all, which yeah, means it's well, generally. I, I was going to say, you know, it's <laughs> it's only minus four. <laughs> it's minus the sun. It's really funny because the sun came out, and you've seen automatically as many people as possible kind of putting on. Shorts and t-shirt and going out, <laughs> going out looking like because it's the only opportunity you have. <laughs> it's like it's really good in the, the kind of the paint aisle at B and Q, and you've got the brilliant white section, <laughs> <laughs> and that's what you've got. This kind of oh, burn me, brilliant sunshine, get my tan on. <laughs> so it was kind of like that, which was always always fun and always good. Um, but we're not <laughs> we're not here to talk about the potentiality of the Auburn fair-skinned people of Scotland getting burnt to a crisp. We are actually here to talk about Deep Space and <clears throat> your latest Kickstarter, which yes, is Battle, Battle Cruiser Alamo Ripaga. Or RPG, uh, sorry. R- R- RPG, <laughs> usually. Power- Conventionally, shall we say. Powered by the, <clears throat> era, the era D10 system. That's right. That's um... Right. The how long has the campaign been running for? Uh, so it's been running for about twenty days as of recording. Okay. Um, yeah, roughly. Uh, roughly. Oh, in fact, you know what? Since the fourth of April, so a little less. About about little over two weeks. All right. Okay. Okay. So you still got a little bit of time to go. You got about nine, eight or nine days to go by the time it's nine, nine days to date. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um. Okay. Yeah. In fact, just about at the recording, exactly nine days. We could time it, and then we could just start talking when it is exactly nine <laughs> nine days. Um, let's read the blurb because we like to read the blurb. We don't always read the blurb, but it's always good. And you know how I like to do I, film I, voices. I would be more than happy to 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 read the blurb for you if you do that. I, uh, like I can do the quote for you at least. Do that, yeah. Okay, read the read the right. read the for a century, but read it in your big spacey voice or your newsreader. For a century, man has had the keys to unlock the universe. 
our generation is privileged to be the one that opens the door. To finally realise the greatest dream of all, to touch the face of eternity itself, to reach the frontiers of our knowledge and see what lies beyond. Commencement address, Triplanetary Fleet Academy, 2169. Does that sound familiar to you? <laughs> well, uh, I'll tell you what, what? Um, going back Going back uh, 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 a year, yeah, it didn't. Um, I I would never, I would never have known anything about this um, if it hadn't been for uh, a couple of members of my team, in particular Keith, who has done my layout for a long time, yeah, and also obviously I was here a few weeks ago talking about the battle, um, not the battle cruiser Alamo, the the era of the empowered Kickstarter, yes, um, and he's doing all of the artwork for that as well, That's and he. Cool. He uh, he approached me and he said, "Hey Ed, um, uh, Richard is looking around for something to do with his uh, with his universe. He wants to get some more some more people to hear about his game. Uh, sorry, his books. What what do you think about creating a role playing game in that universe? Uh, it's a military sci fi universe. I know that's your thing. Um, you know, why don't you have a look and and see what you think? And you know, uh, about ten pages later." Um, I was completely hooked. It's a fantastic series of novels. I really, really enjoyed reading the ones that I sort of had the time to read in order to to write the book. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I mean there are there are about thirty eight novels in this in this series. Um, I've only read five of them um, because I I also have to write stuff. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And. Um, uh, you know what? Here's a funny one for you. Uh, over the last six years, um, I've written more books than I've read. Not have a word about this, Ed. <laughs> Do you know? What I mean, that's either you kind of going, "I write a lot," or it's you humble bragging. <laughs> kind of. Oh, I just happen to read. Oh, no, no, I just I, happen I to just, write more I... books than I read. Actually, I'd be perfectly honest. You know, I, I make more podcasts than I listen to. Be perfectly honest. Well, I'm sure you'll probably do. Actually, <laughs> that's yeah. not true. It sounds true, though. You know, <laughs> it sounds possible. It's yeah. pretty bad when you're looking at the queue for download on your like podcast listener and realise that you're fifty percent of the episodes you're about to download. And you realise <laughs> potentially got a slight problem there. Um, I guess you know what we've forgotten the admin a bit, so we have to jump back and say for people that haven't listened to the show before, thanks very much for joining us. You know, hope you're having a fabulous, a fabulous day. Um, the reason that we do this is quite simply there is not enough podcasts out there about board games. There's, I agree you entirely. Know, not not enough places for people who are creators who are maybe on the smaller end, who therefore don't get you know all of this big hype around stuff like the there was a fantastic um, alien inspired. Uh, board game that I saw recently. Life form. Really, really good. Life form. Uh, that's the one. That's the one. Life form. Uh, it looked fantastic. Um, but, I mean, those guys kind of, they sort of had organically word spreading. Uh, some of us are smaller, you know, bit, maybe a bit less known. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we have uh, people like Richard um, are few and far between. Uh, it's it's fantastic to uh, to be able to come on and talk about what, what makes our stuff special and uh, have you guys able to listen to that? That's pretty cool. And the other reason that we do this is because um, it's always a challenge to think up what next we're going to call Ed when he comes on. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of like the challenge. Um, 
this is different from what you've done before because you're obviously taking somebody else's ip sorry ip i'm reading from the show notes tonight um <laughs> yeah oh. hence the replica as well <laughs> hence the replica as well you know it is like isn't it do you have <laughs> do you know the directions to him <laughs> what how'd you get to him could you spell it mate yeah it's h m v that's an incredibly British joke that no one else is It is an incredibly get. British joke. <laughs> in, fact, in fact, it's a British joke from ten years ago. Because I think they've shut down, haven't they? I think they have. It's like the guy that <laughs> he walked into a TV. And we're not going to explain this, because you're just going to have to go and find it yourself. But um, <laughs> when he walks into a TV shop, <laughs> and he says, I'm here about the liquidative. He says, oh, no. He says, what? <laughs> He says, have you heard about the lickety-turf? Lickety-turf. He says, could you spell that, mate? He says, yeah, it's L-C-D-T-V. <laughs> lickety-turf. Lickety-turf. Anyway, so that's oh, just one of these yes. things. But um, IP, indeed. IP, um, yeah, taking somebody else's IP and then new adventure. creating something well, or creating a framework that then people can run off and do things with that IP. Is that... Is that a relatively strange thing for you to be doing, considering that so far you've kind of been the main driving creative force behind everything that's gone out of the kind of the Shades of Vengeance kind of stable, I guess? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be honest. This this project has been a really interesting and different challenge um, because... Whenever something came up in my universes that didn't make sense or I didn't like or didn't quite mesh mm-hmm. with what I wanted the game to be, I'd just change it, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, when when you create the universe, you can do that. And, and suddenly not being able to do that anymore, you know, having a requirement that you observe the feel and, and the content of a universe that someone else created... And, and is established. The only thing that I've done that's vaguely close to it is actually the Era of the Consortium expansions. Because if I look back and go, ah, um, that's not going to quite mesh, then I have to update the expansion rather than the rather than the uh, material that's already out in the world. Um, that said, you know, I've got that pretty well planned and that that's only happened about twice yeah. across all of those expansions. So it, it's, it's not something that comes up very often. But this, you know... It was a case of um, sitting down and, and, and reading these books and going, okay, what, what are the core themes of these books? What, what feeling do you need to have in order for it to feel like Battlecruiser Alamo? And adding to that, you know, it, it's not something that I've been familiar with for my whole life or the last five years or whatever. It, it's something that I've only come across, you know, in the last nine, ten months, um, which really meant that I have had to do a lot of catching up. Yeah. I've had to figure out what the feel of the universe is like. Um, that's been an absolutely fascinating experience. And Richard himself, uh, Richard Tung, the uh, the writer behind those novels, um, has been so supportive. I, I, I can't even. Um, he, he's still writing. Um, the man is prolific, to say the least. He wrote 100,000 words for this rulebook. So where I would usually write the story... Um, so I usually write stuff like um, uh, details about factions, details about locations, yeah. um, 
you know, uh, the the short stories based in the universe that give you a feel. Yeah. You know, this is something I've been doing for a very, very long time. Yeah. Um, he literally sat down and wrote this stuff. <laughs> you know, just like in a period of like a month and a half, he just sat down and churned it all out. Um, and all I've had to do is go through and edit it. So, um, you know, m- making sure that that it reads okay and so on is is really all I've had to do. And he he loves this universe. He breathes and lives it. And to uh to be able to have that in an IP, to have the actual creator of it come along and actually contribute and help is massive. I mean, uh, you don't get it. I mean, like it doesn't happen practically speaking. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's absolutely phenomenal to to have Richard on board and to such a degree as he is. Um and then, you know, obviously Keith um has been the artist for Richard uh, for the covers for years, and um, Keith did the uh, did the extra artwork needed for this book. Uh, he's also doing the layout. Uh, it's 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 a good looking book. I mean, you only have to scroll down the Kickstarter to see, you know, it. All of these images, particularly, I I I'm particularly a fan of the way he does the spaceships. Yeah. Um, and and they are just breathtaking. I I, I love the stuff that he does for this. Um, for the spaceships in particular, as I say, was um, working on somebody else's IP. Has it given you kind of ideas, um, you know, that about kind of your own stuff? I mean, have you thought, oh, actually, that's a not that necessarily that you're doing. Like, I think was it Philip? Is it Philip Pullman who said, kind of, um, steal like a hummingbird, write like a bee, kind of thing. Yeah. He says, "Kind of borrow, borrow the favorite things that make you smile from where you can, and try and turn them into something of your own." So, is it kind of giving you inspiration for kind of other things? Has it made you look at your own kind of your own collection of, I guess, your own IP in a kind of like a different light as well? You you know what? Any other project I've ever come across, the answer is yes. Yeah. Um. Irabalam, I think I spoke to you about some time ago now, uh, yeah. about six months ago. Yeah. Um, that came from uh, hearing about Elite Dangerous, I think I said at the time. Uh, it came from hearing about Elite Dangerous and I thought, how would I do this? You know? Um, and and I'm, I'm very, very influenced by the things that are around me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, 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 I take things and I, I sort of apply my own lens, my own viewpoint to them. Yeah. But the hilarious thing about Battlecruiser Alamo, when I sat down with Richard for the first time, um, it was actually at UK Games Expo in Birmingham. And um, when I sat down with Richard for the first time to really talk about the universe in detail, it, it, it is so similar, in essence, to the way that I've designed the era of the Consortium universe. It is uncanny. <laughs> Um, I, I mean, I mean, you know, uh, there, there are differences. You know, uh, he's got hyperspace, and Era of the Consortium only has wormholes, so it's a very specific where you can go to. Yeah. But um, his hyperspace is very limited; like you can only go to Lagrange points. Um, uh, he has, you know, I have strike weapons and laser cannons as close-in stuff. Yeah. And he has uh, laser cannons as the long range and and powerful stuff and missiles, but. The essence of the way things work, the essence of that military feel of the craft, the way that uh, units are organised, the way that people go rushing headlong into danger, sort of 
in general, mm. the feel is so, so similar to Era of the Consortium. We, we were sat there cracking up the entire time because <laughs> I was finishing his sentences for him about the way the, the setting was. Yeah. I'm like, oh, do you mean like this? And he's like, yeah, exactly like that. That's pretty and cool. It it was it was really it was a you know a really interesting meeting of minds there because we are so meshed and I assume that this is because both of us grew up on the same kind of sci-fi TV shows the same kind of books um and and you know I I've been watching sci-fi since I was about three or four years old you know as long as I can remember my mother was a big sci-fi fan you know I watched TNG I didn't even know that the original series existed until after the TNG run ended in the UK. So, um, you know, I, I mean, I was quite young at that stage. So, um, <laughs> I don't believe that. I think you were born about 25. <laughs> just popped A up. lot of people say that. I've <laughs> just popped out and started writing. Do you know what I mean? Oh, it's an RPG. It's based on a maternity hospital. You need to, you know, Mum's just like, what? <laughs> he looks like an Ed. He looks like he's going to put the Ed in education. <laughs> um but yeah but yeah no i mean it was it was a really interesting experience to to sort of do that and um you know he he and i have such similar views that honestly the answer in this one case is no i've i've not really changed any view on how any of my stuff works yeah yeah because we had such a similar vision and and you know the way that he's executed it is very different but the feel um, you know, it's definitely something that you could have achieved with Era of the Consortium, yes. Mm-hmm. But there are some elements of the universe which, uh, you know, we didn't discuss at that stage. But, um, you know, I sat down and I read the books and combat is brutal. Not so much space combat. Space combat is pretty similar to the way that I frame it in Era of the Consortium. Yeah. But ground combat is is a bloodbath. All right. You know, it's 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 absolutely brutal. Um, like seventy percent of the squad of space marines die <laughs> in the first book. You know, it's like whoa, how many? How many just died? <laughs> you know, like like the weapons are so powerful relative to people. Yeah, that that people just get slaughtered. Um, and that is where, you know, he and I sort of discussed it a bit, and we came up with this idea. Of having not one character for the role-playing game, but two. One of them yeah. is an officer on the ship. Because right? I, I read this and I was like, "Right, this, this is an unusual." But you've, um, as far you did... as I know, yeah. as far as I know, and please, if any listeners know otherwise, let Richard know. I'm sure he'll pass it on to me. I believe it is unique. Um, no one has been able to tell me of any other game where the cool rule actually was. You have two characters. Uh, um, there are games where you have a main character and a sort of a, a group of support characters. Yeah, that happens. But yeah. where you actually have two equal equal characters, no one seems to be able to tell me anything else. I've asked sort of RPG creator groups on Facebook. I've asked people on forums. No one can think of anything. <laughs> but then, so what do you know? but then you did the when you did was it Era Balan when you did like the spaceship stuff. That was pretty cool. That was also pretty cool, and uh, you know, I I think to some degree I've entered a phase where I'm quite interested in duality of characters, um, because Ira Balam is the opposite side of that coin. Um, whereas in this game you have two characters that you can play as in Ira Balam without your ship, you want a character, so there are two parts to the character. 
Um, so it's sort of, in a sense, it's similar, but then given that both of the characters in this can act independently and differently, you know, one being the officer on the ship who, you know, will run around, maybe he's the engineer or maybe he's the gunnery officer or whatever, mm-hmm. and he's running around and he's doing stuff on the ship. And then you've got your, your Espatier, your space marine. Yeah. Um, who can go down to the planet and probably get killed. But the the reasoning behind this was actually, okay, well, if, if one part of your character is likely to get killed, you don't want to get killed a lot. And also, in this universe, officers don't go down to the planet, right? It, it just doesn't happen. You don't get Captain Kirk. Um, you know, <laughs> you, 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 send, you send the mooks, right? I, I mean, you send the expendable people. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you maybe have a junior officer who's the Espatier officer, and, and then the rest of them are all mooks that go down. Yeah. So, you know, um, aliens perhaps is a good analogy. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We've yeah, got okay. Gorman, who's the lieutenant, and he's the one junior officer there. Yeah. And then the rest are all are all NCOs at best and grunts at worst. And um, these these guys, uh, you know, they they go down. They they potentially get killed, and you want to be able to re-roll your character without feeling like you've really lost something too bad. Is it kind of is it kind of like is it kind of like the XCOM side of things where you kind of like there's a chance you're going to lose characters and you're going to be bringing in kind of replacements for those characters? It, it sort of is, yeah, and 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 very much. Um, I don't know about you, but when I play XCOM, you know, I, I often develop an attachment to some characters and not to others, right? So I imagine when you play this, and and I've seen this in playtests, but I imagine that you know when when as more and more people play this, what they'll find is sometimes they'll run in a spatier and they'll you know they'll never really feel the character and they'll die within a couple of sessions and no one will care, and then sometimes you'll have this epic spatier who you know lasts for five sessions and and goes down every time and they're always fine and they're always brilliant. Uh, bullets just seem to slide off them and you have a Leon situation. You know they just can't seem to die. Yeah. Um. Uh, Leon the Professional, that is. That was a movie reference for anyone who didn't pick it up. That's um, another, how old's that film? Because we're talking. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I, I love that movie, though. It's about um, 15 years old, probably, or something like that. I think it's more. Oh, my God. Don't even let's, let's Let's find out, Ed. <laughs> let's do a live. Let's find out just now. Yeah, anyway, yeah. Because we might as well actually feel um, Leon the Professional. Uh, yeah. Let's see. Uh, 1994. Oh my goodness. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. That's... Uh, I thought it was 90s. I thought it was 90s. That's 23 years ago. Yeah. 24 years ago. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, right. Natalie Portman's quite young in it, isn't she? She's so, re- uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. That's just... I'm going to yeah. s- cry. I don't know if you're crying. I'm slightly No, crying, no, no, crying no. I, 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 I am... I've recently had my birthday, actually. Right. Uh, just about a week ago. All right. Um, I have become a year older. Happy birthday! And um, thank you. And uh, I'm I'm mostly over it at this point. Um, <laughs> what the hell? Or <laughs> uh, um, I, I'm mostly over it for now. I mean, who knows how I'll feel in six months' time or or a year's time? But um, for now, I'm mostly over it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but go. I mean, going back to the going back to the game. Yeah. Have and, you, and then ha- and then when that person dies, the, yeah. the you know the 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 guy who survived everything, or the or the girl who survived everything, mm. you know, you you're like you really feel bad, you know. Uh, I mean, I'm I, I'm a I'm a veteran reloader in XCOM because I'm like no 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 
that person can't die. <laughs> no, no, I'm reloading. I don't care if I have to start the mission again. Oh I don't goodness. care. That person can't die. You're one of these people that you've got, you've got kind of like your safe states, and you've got about seven of them, and then you kind of uh, remember which well, one you I can go back play to. Iron Man. So, um, oh right, okay. Uh, well, I, I've platinumed on the PS4. I've platinumed all of the uh, all of the XCOM games. Um, because I had Enemy Unknown and then Enemy Within, and then XCOM Two, and I also had uh, Enemy Unknown Plus on the PS Vita. So uh, I, I'm vaguely obsessional about XCOM. I think it's fair <laughs> to say. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I mean uh, you know I've platinumed them all, so I've I've done my fair share of uh, of of Iron Man games, and and they're definitely challenging. And it's it's that moment when you realise that that no matter what, this character who you've grown to love is going to sacrifice themselves and you know that that's not going to destroy your game you know you still have your officer who's on the ship you still have the opportunity to roll a new espatier but you you have that sense of loss and the sense of need for renewal the other thing that i found about having the two characters and i found this through playtests um sometimes it can get a bit boring playing the same character week in week out for years but Having the alternative, and particularly with the Espatier likely to change, really freshens that up. You know, um, you 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 have opportunities as the GM um, to make the players feel a lot more set upon. You know, because you can have the ship fighting at the same time as the guys on the planet are fighting. You can flick backwards and forwards as often or as you know or as infrequently as you like. Yeah. Um, so you can sort of do a round up there and a round down there, or you could even do one session up there and one session down there. Yeah. You know, and anywhere in between. Um, and, and that, you know, that really gets the players sort of going, oh no, I mean, I feel like something's coming from every direction, which really is something that's, that's very much a theme of the universe in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so again, it was all about adapting and, and I've talked about this a few times before with you. It's all about adapting the rules and the game to get the feel of the universe so that it's appropriate to the IP. And that's something, obviously, I have a lot of experience doing now. Um, but in order to achieve that, um, and I, I do very much credit Richard with, with you know, sort of ideas that, that pushed me in the right direction for this. We've really come up with some really interesting new ways of doing things that, that, as far as I can tell, haven't been done anywhere else. Like what? Oh, well, like this dual character thing. Yeah. I mean, have you made it an awful lot easier for people to kind of re-roll their, their, uh, their character when they do die? I mean, or is it something that they have to go back? Because I've, you know, one thing with, like, generating a character again is that it can take up some time. So if you kind of cut it so you can just take some basic... You know, here's some basic stats, and you can make it very, very easy for people to get kind of back into the action. Yeah. So what what I've done is um, there are um, example characters in the back of the rulebook. Um, I always do that, but in this case, I'm actually adding some extra ones so that people can go, okay, well, I'm going to roll a d10 and I'll have this, you know, this character build, and you can just draw it in your character sheet. Mm-hmm. But in reality, um, I sat down and I did an entire character sheet, both the officer and the espatier, in 14 minutes and 49 seconds, and that was including going slowly and explaining. Well, that's uh, I've got a YouTube video of it up on the up on the Kickstarter there. Um, I, I, I reckon I could sit down, or any of my group who've been playing Era D10 for anywhere from a year to five years, 
I reckon any of those guys could sit down and roll in a spatier in five minutes. Okay. Yeah, draw, draw it out in five minutes or so. What about then the people that are looking on this for the first time? I mean, have you had to take that into consideration as well? Absolutely. You know, for you know, for the game, if you're going to get you know the fa- some of the fan base picking this up maybe in the future or finding out about it just now and deciding to go ahead and back. Um, have you had, is that something that you've really had to kind of take into account? I need to, this is potentially people that might jump on to the series just now and then by, I guess by association are going to jump back into the, potentially the rest of the era back catalogue as well. Potentially, yeah. Okay. So all of our, all of our era games are designed you know the whole rule set is designed to be easy for beginners um we actually sit down at, at conventions like mcm comic-con yeah um in london uh we've been doing that for some years now um and we sit people down who have never played a role-playing game before many many people have never played a role-playing game before um one of one of my actual team uh actually played his very first role-playing game at MCM and then later joined my team um, because he liked it so much and um, we've we've designed the games in order to make it easy to play so yes I've had to really think very hard about that especially with this character sort of being a little more complicated uh, because you have to sort of do it twice and um, that's the reason why the example characters I mentioned a minute ago are, are so numerous in the back of this book but equally it is a case of, um, you know, you just need to sort of count some numbers. You know, you, you get 6, 5, 4 in rows on the left-hand half, and you get 11, 7, and 4 on, in rows on the right-hand half, and most of these words like strength or intelligence or luck, they're not hard to understand what it means for your character. You know, I mean, I mean, it's not, it's not hard to understand. And if you understand that you, you know, you have to put six points in, you know, do you want to put three in, three in strength, three in intelligence and nothing in charisma? Mm-hmm. Or do you want to sort of split it more evenly, two in each? Or do you want to maybe have one they're not very good at and, and two they're very good at or, and so on. And it's not hard to put, you know, to split six dots across three different boxes in a row, you know? Um, I, I, I don't think that it'll, it'll be too hard and, you know, I would really think that barring indecision, and, and uh, uh, remind me to come back to that, barring indecision, I, I don't think it would take more than 10, 15 minutes, even for an absolute first-time person. Mm-hmm. So one of, the, one of the things, when I guide people through character creation in my rule books, I always advise, and, and I was actually, I was reading through um, Icons, which is, for those who don't know, a superhero role-playing game. Uh, one I have had a lot of respect for. Um, it's not as good as Era of the Empowered, of course, of course. No, but, of course um, not. Of course. But, um, but it is a very, you know, it's a solid and popular uh, superhero role-playing game, and you can see why when you look at the book. But one of the things that I really disagree with the way they did it is they talk about making your stats first and then figuring out what your character is like. Yeah. And to me, that's backwards. You should never, ever create a character that way because if you're role-playing a character, you're role-playing the character, right? You, you've got to have an idea of what that character is like before you start writing down that they're strong and, and smart. You know, um, if, if you do it the other way, then you're not role-playing the character you want to play. You're building stats 
according to uh, sort of a, a, a an ultimate paradigm, whatever you see as the best thing, and then sort of fitting the character to that afterwards. Whereas if you come at it from the direction of okay, well, my character, he uh, he uh, is a bit of a he's a bit of a scrapper. Um, but when the odds are facing him, you know, he's going to run away. He's, he's not, you know, when the odds are against him, he's not going to stand there and sacrifice his life. He's not that guy. He's the guy who runs away and lives to fight another day. Did you, so I'm did you find that, stats for that. Did, did you then find that people who are playing two different characters have got a tendency to try and play those characters as two different people that if they know, for instance, that the soldier is potentially going to be going bye-bye that they are more likely to be, you know, brash and, you know, with that, have a different kind of attitude than being the commander or being the officer and knowing that they they might pretend they're going to have a longer life on the, you know... Actually, no, I found it was completely the other way around. Really? Um, people saw the fact that Espatiers are more likely to die as a challenge. Right, okay. Um, I'm not going to let my Espatier die, is what the player thinks. Yeah. You know, it's not going to happen. I'm not going to put them in a situation where that's going to happen. And, um, you know, that then leads to this, this, this determination that, yeah, they might do heroic things, but they're not going to do stupid things. Yeah. Which actually, again, feeds really nicely back into the whole... You know, into the whole thing. If someone's going to sacrifice themselves, then it's epic and heroic, and and it's you know running in with two plasma grenades <laughs> to blow up the shuttle. You know, and it's a deliberate choice yeah. that they're sacrificing themselves uh, because that's going to save everyone else's lives. And 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 the officers ended up being the more brash and and um, you know thoughtless individuals because they had to worry less about whether they would be alive at the end of the session. Yeah. So I, 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 because I assumed exactly what you're saying. I assumed everyone would just run headlong into fire because they didn't care. But no, I mean, I mean, there is an, I, I mean, there is, of course, this essential thing for role players where most people don't want their character to die no matter what, and I think that carries over and plays nicely into this, into this universe's feel to maintain that because all of these guys are well trained. You know, all, all of these characters are well trained military individuals. They're not stupid. And they're not going to run in headlong into enemy fire just because it's funny. So, um, I mean, when you're running your games, are you finding they're kind of like more Battlestar Galactica in terms of the conversation that's going back and forward than kind of like Star Trek? You know, is it kind of um, more real? Is it kind of more really, or is it even uh, <laughs> is it is it even closer maybe to? I don't know. I kind of a war. I, I gotta be honest. Thing? It's it's a lot more Galaxy Quest than it is Star Trek. Really? Um, uh, my, my my group are fairly notoriously silly though. Um, uh, but uh, I I mean, for example, there's a there is a scenario uh, that we run at conventions. Um, we we have one for every single game, and the one for Battle Cruiser Alamo involves you. Uh, one of the other things I should say, just as a quick aside, that the universe. Um, the Triplanetary Confederation within the first three books, which the core rulebook is based around, um, is very new. It's very sort of very newly formed, and, and all of the three main factions believe they should be the superior one. Oh, right, so okay. there's Mars, Titan, and Callisto. Yeah. 
And, you know, Titan are, are sort of very sort of ramshackle and, and not very well organised. Mars are somewhere in the middle. And Callisto are totally military and professional. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, like, like uh, sort of the captain is uh, on, on the battlecruiser Alamo. Uh, the captain is from Mars. Uh, the first officer is from Callisto. And the second officer is from Titan. And the, the Callistans and the Titans are, are trying to sort of um, push themselves up the ranks a bit. So they're, you know, they're actually, there's a mutiny in the first book. Spoilers. Um, <laughs> there's a mutiny in the first book. And I'm, I'm not going to tell you how it goes, but there oh, is a right. mutiny in the first okay. book. You, you, you find that out within about the first 20 Generally pages. Generally, a, a mutiny happens when there's a thing in charge and then people within that power structure decide they don't want the other people at the top to be in charge. Well, yeah, I mean, and those, you know, those are the kinds of things. But that is sort of, and and in the second book, there isn't exactly a mutiny. There's there's, there's internal intrigue all through these three books, these first three books. And that's something that I want to capture, and it's very much sort of up to the GM how they interpret this. But um, what we did for this session is we said, okay, so the ship that you're on, which is not the Alamo, uh, you don't play on the Alamo in this game, that's not the idea. Yeah. Uh, it's based in that universe, but there are six other battlecruisers. Uh, they're all named after hopeless battles, so like Thermopylae, Alamo, and so on. Yeah. Um, and uh, you're on board one of these other ones. So um, uh, you are in the midst of a mutiny. Uh, you are escorting the security officer, and the security officer in this case is um, a, a computer hacker, not a, you know, not not like a wharf. That the it's computer security, cyber security. All right, okay. more like more like Edie in um, uh, uh, Mass Effect. All right, okay, yeah, okay. Um, so uh, you're escorting this person um to the auxiliary control room uh in order to save the ship uh because not only is the mutiny going on, there's also a ship to ship battle going on at the same time, and the mutineers are trying to take over and hand over to the to the other ship. And you round a corner, and you run into a guy. And this guy has a plasma cannon. Plasma cannons can breach hulls of starships. That's very, very much a, a theme of Richard's books, and it's very much a thing that's been maintained. They have yeah. a high chance of breaching the hull if you fire them. And if they don't breach the hull, they may well still damage a lot of systems. So um, he, you know, he's like, are you mutineers? <laughs> to which the response is, of course, no, of course we're not. Well, prove it. <laughs> Okay. And that's where the hilarity happens, because how do you prove that you're not a mutineer? Um, show my badge. No, because the mutineers are part of the crew. Um, I don't know. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and that's the point, right? So, I mean, you know, this is supposed to be a thing that you have to try and get around. You know, it's a deliberate obstacle that you run into, and it's it's all part of, you know, giving someone an example of what the game plays like, right? So this this is an hour long session, you know that, that that this is just the first thing that happens, and uh, and you know I I had I had the people who tried to convince him. I had the people who ran round the corner past him and and sort of dodged all the plasma fire. I had the people who kneecapped him. I had the people who deliberately annoyed him or taunted him. So that he would fire, breach the hull, and suck himself out of the out of the out of the hole, you know, uh, it, like it, it went from the sublime to the ridiculous. Um, and and unfortunately, my group and and I have playtested with other groups, of course, but but my group in general 
tend towards the ridiculous. Um, which is hilarious, and we have a lot of fun, but I also know there are a lot of groups out there who take things very seriously. And the the thing is that you can play this game with a sense of the ridiculous, yeah. while still maintaining this feeling of being a little bit set upon, a little bit overly surrounded, you know, um, okay, and, and who do we trust? Because when someone walks up to you in a spacesuit, do you trust this person? Are they a mutineer? Are they just looking to try and kill you? Depends. If I'm in the middle of Tesco's and somebody walks up to me in a spacesuit, then I'm probably more likely to not trust them. But it depends if they're in the frozen food section or not, because they might just want to, they might just, they might just want to stay warm. They yeah. might just be why they stay to stay warm. What about, well, I mean, in this weather, spacesuits make a lot more sense. They absolutely do. What, what about what about um, alien races? I mean, is there a is there, are there alien races? And you know. Are there alien races in the universe? I mean, obviously... Uh, um... So, aliens are, are a fascinating thing in this universe. And again, this is something that that uh, I've only come across in one other place, really, in my experience. Um, there are alien races. However, they are so different to humanity that aliens and humans have never had any kind of parlay. Um, you know, they, they aren't at war. You know, the... the They'll show up, they'll they'll bounce transmissions backwards and forwards for a while, no one will understand anyone, and they'll turn around and go away. All right, okay. You know, um, it, it's it's a lot like, um, I compare it to Darmok in Star Trek The Next Generation, the episode when Picard shows up and ends up down on the planet with the, with the alien yeah, captain. Yeah, yeah. Because they don't understand it? each other. Yeah. You know, he, he just sits down and he starts talking to them, and they have the universal translator in Star Trek, of course, which makes life incredibly easy, and... and you know, and and this is the only time I've ever really seen in sci-fi that this kind of thing happens. Because um, even even with the Horter in the original series, where the Universal Translator didn't work, um, it was it was less a case of not understanding each other. You know, they they came to an understanding. Is, this was it, really said, was a case of <laughs> his eyes hmm? open or something, or in Shadora uh, where the walls fell or something. Uh, like Shakar that. when the walls fell. Oh, yeah. you know it, of course you uh, know it. Darmok you and Shalad at Tanagra. Uh, yeah, uh, right, okay. I, I do know it. I'm a, I'm a Trekkie. I'm sorry. Um, Are you a Trekkie as opposed to a Trekker? Uh, I I am a Trekkie as opposed to a Trekker. Are Trekkers uh, more serious? I? Um, I can't remember which way round it was. Once upon a time, I would have known. Um, <laughs> you no longer care. Uh, well, no, I never really cared that much. I just knew the difference. I <laughs> I am only a fan of the storytelling and what you see on the screen. Yeah. Um, that's always been my thing. Yeah, I know all of the episodes very well. I've been watching them, as I said, since I was very, very young. Yeah. Um, and uh, and and you know, I mean, I I you know, I've watched all of the episodes more times than I can count. Um, yeah, you know, I, I really, 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 really like Star Trek and the and the way that it's presented, mostly. Uh, let's not get into Star Trek. Um, I could talk for a very long time about that. <laughs> let's not get into um, Star Trek. So was that an unusual thing then? You were not actually kind of having the, the kind of the typical, kind of alien threat and having to think up yeah. monsters and stuff like that. It was more of a now struggle that between said, people. Okay. That said, there are some mysteries in the universe. Um, and actually, the uh, on sets the second image in the body of the thing, uh, this giant uh, sort of two thousand and one esque monolith, except it's glowing. Um, you know, there are some secrets in this setting uh, that we include for the GM. Again, Richard's written all this stuff out himself. It's stuff that exists in his mind, but may or may not exist in the books yet. 
that's not me as well. I'm just pointing out that every time Ed says Richard and it sounds like somebody's doing something I am talking about Richard Tongue. You're talking yeah. about Richard Tongue. You're not talking about me because I would never, ever be able to write anything that intelligent as everybody's going to find out over the next couple <laughs> of days. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, he's written out all of these uh, all of these secrets for the setting. And, um, you know, there's there's a lot of opportunity for bringing aliens in and i don't want to spoiler anyone who's going to read the books but aliens are involved in the second book to a degree not living ones but there's a lot of um how do i say it uh mass effect-esque mystery about aliens in our solar system how did they get there you can't have sex with an alien ed can you uh i i i suppose it depends on the alien in theory, you could have sex with an alien. You would not be able to give birth to live young, assuming that they are a different species. Uh, well, I mean, um, <laughs> sorry, that is, you would not be able to give birth to um, young, which were capable of uh, procreation. Uh, you would, if if you had a capability of limited compatibility, you could end up with a mule. <laughs> Okay. Uh, a, a mule kind of situation, yeah. But uh, no, that is the definition of a species. So if they're an alien species, then no. Cool. <laughs> um, the I mean, let's talk about. I mean, let's talk about the camp, the campaign itself. Yeah. Um, you. I mean, you're funded. Yeah. You're a little bit over the kind of the funded. Did you go for a lower kind of goal to kind of get it out there? Because this, yeah, seems, this seems I to mean, be kind of like a trend, is that people are putting kind of down lower and lower goals on Kickstarter in order to hit the magical kind of funded level. And I guess my I, quick, you know, I've been doing this for a very long time, uh, uh, putting low yeah. goals in. I yeah. mean, um, I've never felt a need to pay for the entire development of the book on Kickstarter. I don't think it's necessary, and I don't think it's necessarily the right way to do things either. Right. Um, there are certainly a lot of negatives, and, and this is for anyone out there who is considering making a game of any sort on Kickstarter. If you have a massive Kickstarter with tens of thousands of pounds, and you go to a retailer, a lot of retailers will turn you away. Because they think that everyone who's interested has probably backed the Kickstarter. Yeah. I never thought um, about that. That's actually a really, you know, the massively successful... Yeah. I mean, if you're thinking about, I, I guess, I mean, a little while ago, I was, I did say not too long ago that there was somebody that posted on Facebook to say, "Hey, look, um, my local friendly local game store is selling copies of Conan for twenty five dollars each. Is it worthwhile kind of, kind of picking up? Because as you said, I think everybody that was interested in the game at the time has gone ahead and got themselves a copy." So I guess yeah. you got to wonder again. It comes back to the retail trade. It's a, f- a retail trail because it's a fine balance, isn't it? I mean, for Conan, it's probably a bit of a different story because there are people out there who will buy it who won't back a Kickstarter. Yeah. Uh, the the sad truth is that there are people out there who give Kickstarter a very you know Kickstarter creators a very bad name. Mm. Um, it's not it's not great, and it for someone like me, it's 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 terrible to see. Um, you know, I'm I'm 21 uh, projects in on this account. I've got seven. Oh, sorry, uh, I'm 21 projects in on this. Is that account. Your leg? I've got seven on our uh, uh, comics account. 
Um, and I've done three. Uh, I've run three other campaigns for other people under the Shades of Vengeance banner as well. Okay. So um, it's 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 not something that I sort of like at all that that people have given such a bad name. But that means that something like Conan, yeah, you're quite likely to find someone who's going to be interested enough in Conan to buy it. Yeah. Um. It, with something like this, if I was to have, you know, a, a, a 10k Kickstarter, I don't think any retailers would be interested in carrying it because, yeah, they'd assume anyone who wants it has bought it. Because the point the point of entry, and this is the same with the other campaigns, your point of entry for getting involved is as little as... I mean, it's like usually pledge £5 and you can, like, join along the with the Kickstarter. And this, you kind of pledge £5 and you're getting... The kind of the setting guide. If you pledge seven pounds, you're getting the player's guide. If you pledge twelve, you're getting the player's guide in a paperback. Nineteen is getting you the core rulebook in digital format, and then you're getting everything digital at twenty-two, and then the core rulebook at thirty-two. In paperback. In yeah. paperback, yeah. I mean, is um, is it cost-effective still to kind of get so many? kind of different versions kind of printed out? Or, well, there aren't actually take... that many different versions being printed out. There are only, there are only two books being printed. Yeah. That's the uh, Core Rulebook and the uh, Rulebook Primer. Yeah. Uh, core Rulebook does come in paperback and in and in hardback, of course. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, the, the for example, the, the higher-up tiers, you know, I've done a GM's bundle, and uh, I know that some people find this sort of thing really, really useful because you're sat around the table, the player's guide gives you everything you need to create a character... You're sat around the table, you're four or five people, and you want to have a rule book and three players' guides so that everyone can create their character at the same time without having to wait and pass the book and so on. Mm-hmm. 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 As um I mean, as Kickstarter continues to be the behemoth, I mean there's another I mean, Brian Lewis that was on the show Dinosaur Island appears to potentially oh, yeah. gonna be hitting kinda of like two million. Brian's absolutely fabulous. Um fantastic he was a fantastic when he was on. Do you think we're reaching the point where maybe certain projects aren't just going to bother with Kickstarter because it seems to be there seems to be a reasonable skew towards the kind of the bigger projects now, or is it still something that you're going to kind of rock, you're going to continue to rock up with and it's going to take a really different platform with a really different view that is going to turn turn your head. I have not seen another platform that offers what Kickstarter offers yet. Right. And what Kickstarter offers, and and I think pretty much anyone who runs a lot of Kickstarter projects sees a similar thing. Mm. Kickstarter offers a massive audience of people who are interested in projects. Yes. Right? Um, You know, like anywhere up to 50, 60, 70% on some Kickstarters come internally from Kickstarter. Right, I, I mean that's that's huge. That's a huge number of people potentially. Um, you know, there are people who know that there are some amazing things coming up on Kickstarter, and I'm talking primarily about games. I don't know too much about uh, anything other than games and comics. Yeah. Um, but because uh, I've never run any other kind of project yet. Um, oh yet? Okay. Oh yeah. Well, I, I've got I've got something else planned uh, that I've been working on with our sound guy Leo. Oh yeah, um, yeah, we're doing a we're doing an audio drama, um, 
Uh, we've been working on it for some time. We've we've already finished three episodes of it, and and we're aiming to do twelve for a season and and fund sort of fund fund its release on Kickstarter. That'd be cool. Uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, Leo is very, very talented. He's a talented voice actor. Um, they've, they've got me in there, uh, doing some, uh, uh, doing some stuff as well. Um, I'm, I'm the comic relief, if you like. Um, <laughs> I can't uh, imagine anyone more suited for the job. Uh, <laughs> Indeed. But I mean, is it, are we, are we at the case that, um, are we kind of at the case of Amazon, kind of eBay, kind of big corporate, because Kickstarter is approaching. It is approaching big corporate kind of entity, isn't it? I mean, it's got millions of millions of pounds, millions of dollars going through its platform. Yes, it's kind of taking the slice, but it's a hefty. I mean, it's a hefty decision maker for a lot of people. It's not a case. I think you spoke about this last time. It was about kind of like project we love statuses and things like that. Mm. Is that it would be great if they just like took sort of project like yourselves or a, a smaller indie publisher and just put them front and center to say, well, why are we, you know, why put kind of um, why why put the project we love on on projects that are already going to succeed yeah, beyond wildest yeah. dreams? Yeah, I mean, like say, I mean, I've seen the new ones like God Tier. Which is out, which looks fantastic, but is very, very well funded. Batman romped home, Seventh Continent, yeah. all these kind of things. You know they're going to fund. How about giving somebody else a smaller guy a slice of the pie? But as you say, it is kind of like, it's kind of like Amazon, eBay, you know, any of these big, big companies. Is that they're so big you wouldn't go anywhere else because, as you say, you wouldn't get, you wouldn't get the kind of the same exposure. I mean, Kickstarter's got its own app. <laughs> You know, you know, it's so easy mm. just to it's so easy just to use. And to be honest, I, mean, I I know people who sort of run a Kickstarter and then run an Indiegogo or whatever. Yeah, I've seen that. I've um, seen it as a follow up for funding. But yeah, I mean, I'll um, be I'll be honest with you. I think we've had one, we've had one company that's come on to talk about their Indiegogo campaign, and that was Mike, Mike Barnes, wonderful, beautiful Mike Barnes. To talk about dies when that was on and that. Was oh on yeah, to go. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was trying to remember. I was trying to remember where I knew the name from. Dies, of course. Yeah, yeah. great guys. Dies, really, yeah. really, really, really fantastic guys. Um, and uh, and yeah, I mean, I I think that for now, for now, Kickstarter's not going anywhere. For as long as indie projects get some funding on yeah. Kickstarter, yeah, it will exist, and and it will exist to help people like myself. Who need that faith that I'm going to be printing forty copies? Yeah, you know who need that. Who need that reassurance or that little bit of extra money to finish, uh, which is very much a thing on our comics. Um, you know, we we often get very very close, and then run out of budget because John always wants to do more and better and look, you know, <laughs> look nicer and you know, like I'm like John, we only had this much. Yeah, uh, Jonathan Lewis, this is my head of comics. Uh, 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 here at Shades of Vengeance, um, uh, we we do a lot of we do a lot of the work together. But he, you know, he'll go, oh, but I want this artist, and I know he's this much more, and ah, oh, but it's so good, and I want it. Um, so uh, you know, I, I mean, you know, that that scenario exists, or or someone funds a game, and 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 you know, they put ten thousand pounds of their own money into it, and they they need two thousand pounds more, and they just don't have that money to go ahead and and kick off a proper production run. Yeah, it you know all of this stuff um, exists. All of this stuff is there, and um, I think for as long as people 
on Kickstarter are willing to back indie games, I think indie games will always be there. Yeah. Um, I've I've not seen any sign of the number decreasing. Um, and I think that while as an indie game, you know, you, you have to be realistic about what you can achieve. Yeah. Um, you know, f- 1500 for me for this project is perfect. You know, I'm, I'm more than happy with that. Um, don't get me wrong. I would love to have more, but I am totally happy with getting that funded. And if we get not a penny more, I will be happy to put this out and go, yep, we did this. This is the Battlecruiser Alamo RPG. Uh, it's the brainchild of Richard Tung and myself. Yes. And we've, you know, we've put this time, we've put this effort. Look at this amazing book that we've produced together. <laughs> and I will be proud of that. That's awesome. So say we all. <laughs> <laughs> um, what we'll do is, and always, we shall make sure that we will put the links for the show notes, which in your case is really easy because all I need to go to is the previous episode. Basically, <laughs> copy, copy everything, paste and, copy and everything add, that was said before, one. and just take out, yeah, take out this, the Kickstarter, and replace it with a kind of like the new one, you know. Yeah, I do um, like to make your life easier. You do. It's it's fantastic. It's absolutely so so appreciated. Well, these people that just don't do that, and I have to actually <laughs> go, I have to go to Google and like search for their company so I can find their links. It's just so. So time consuming. Just like that's seven and a half minutes of my life I never yeah, ever get back. Never you know, get it back. Absolutely just ridiculous. Um but for everyone else, if you go and search Shades of Vengeance, search on Kickstarter, you're gonna find um you're gonna find Ed and all his lovely campaigns. And obviously he's on he's on places like Twitter, he's on places like Facebook. Mm-hmm. You're um um You'll probably find him here again in about three months' time, to be perfectly honest, because that's the way we you can roll. You think it's going to be as long as that? Wow, that's optimistic. Um, <laughs> yeah, probably... no, I, I mean, we've got some awesome... Uh, just while well, we've got five minutes left, we, we do have some awesome other things planned. Um, we've got uh, Evil Overlord, uh, which is our second card game, um, mm-hmm. where you are an evil mastermind attempting to take over the world. Uh, unfortunately, your minions won't all fight together, so you go down to the evil minion market to trade with the other evil masterminds to take over the world. Uh, you want to have the best army at the end of it, you see. It's some. Um, it's it's a brilliant game. We've had a lot of success with our sort of pre pre release print. Um, everyone absolutely loves it. Uh, I, I've sent it all over the world uh, for playtesting and and comment and so on. And. Um, yeah, no, r- really great stuff. And then uh, we've got our next major role-playing game, um, which will come as soon as Era of the Empowered is done, pretty much. Uh, it'll probably be August-ish. Cool. Um, and it'll be Era of the Chosen, our first horror game. Oh, and actually, yeah. if you're interested in a horror game on the Era D10 rule set, we actually have a Facebook group devoted to Era of the Chosen. Oh, okay. So if you search Era of the Chosen in Facebook, you'll come up with the official Era of the Chosen group. And uh, I'm posting weekly in there little snippets, uh, stories and images and explanations about what's what. And, you know, oh, you, you, you want to know what the bad guys look like? Well, they're like this. And, and that was the one I just posted today. Does, does that mean I need to change the link? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, uh, that you that know, you one give is... me another link. <laughs> I, I can give you another link if you well, like. That would be, uh, be fine. That would be fine. Um... And for people who want to keep an eye on what we are doing, um, just <laughs> I wish I could like copy and paste 
Yeah, just no. you, you, you know what? For people who want to keep an eye on, on what We're Not Wizards is doing, yeah. go to the Shades of Vengeance Facebook page and click through to this interview, and then you'll be on the right website. There you go. That's fantastic. That's what we want. That's what we want. Or you can... <laughs> Oh, he's such a cheeky monkey. Or you can go to Twitter, you can go to Facebook, you can go to, um, jokingly around, but I think we're still on Google+, Plus. no idea why. You can go to Instagram, you can go to Stitcher and Spreaker and Acast and Spotify. We're still on Spotify. I've literally barely heard of any of those. Um, they're, They're all magical and wonderful. We're also on Apple Podcasts as well, so if you want to be a real sweetie, then um, please go to Apple Podcasts and uh, drop us a subscription. If you want to be even more glorious, drop us a rating or a review. If you are going to give us a rating or a review... And it's it would... 10. No, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not having you do this again. <laughs> give him a 10. Give, give him a, a 10. He deserves give, a 10. Give me a he 10. works hard. He spends at least seven and a half minutes Googling people's companies <laughs> and putting the links up. I mean, come on. If that doesn't deserve a 10, I don't know what does. Let's be honest here. We also we need to thank um, our new patrons on our Patreon, which I usually I usually don't kind of go on about the Patreon. But we we are seem to be even though we're putting people off where we can, we seem to be having people who say um, they've got nothing better to do and they're throwing us some money, which is always really really nice. So thank you to John and thank you to um, Anthony as well for joining our joining a wonderful little Patreon family which seems to be growing. And as we say, don't give us a 10 because it makes us big-headed and don't give, give us a 1. Give a, don't, don't give us a 1 him. because it don't makes listen. us cry. Don't listen give us a 5. You're ruining the joke, Edward. <laughs> I know, but I've heard the joke so many times. <laughs> it's <now>. fantastic. <laughs> um, just, you know, 5 because it's average. When it is average, it would say the average, but the person who's not been average tonight, <laughs> he, put <laughs> the, he puts the Ed in education and the joy in Jibbit. <laughs> it's uh, that's sticking out every time. He's on parole. He was a repeat offender. It's the wonderful, fantastic Mr. Ed Jowett. So thanks very much for having me. It's always an absolute star pleasure. Um, there's only two more things to do. The first thing is to remember uh, go to Kickstarter and check out this Kickstarter. You know, Battle of Alamo get, or PG. Get yourself a Ripiga. <laughs> or Ripiga, if you are so inclined. <laughs> Remember, Ripiga. And if you want to be um if you want to be checking out on Kickstarter, make sure you check it out on your site shiny liquidative. Um <laughs> But it's only just, you know, say goodbye, Ed. <clears throat> goodbye everybody. Thank you for listening to us ramble on for over an hour. It's always fantastic. And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe, roll sixes, and... Uh, tens, uh, tens. Roll tens. So tens. always get it wrong. Era D10. Era D10. And, you know, just do stuff. It's all fun. <laughs> but until the next time, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>